This podcast is not intended to offer recommendations for administering GlaxoSmithKline products in a manner inconsistent with approved labeling. In order for GlaxoSmithKline to monitor the safety of our products, we encourage healthcare professionals to report adverse events or suspected overdoses to the company at 888-825-5249. Hello, welcome. This is a PrimeMed podcast series on uncontrolled asthma, a three-part series. This is podcast one, what you need to know about unmet needs in asthma. My name is Anne-Marie Ditto. I'm a U.S. medical expert with GlaxoSmithKline. I'm in the Medical Affairs Respiratory Division. I'm a board-certified allergist immunologist, and I'm a fellow in the American Academy of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology, as well as a fellow in the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology and the Illinois Society of Allergy, Asthma, Allergy, and Immunology. And I'm Dr. Barbara Yon, and I am a family physician. I am also board certified and a fellow of the American Academy of Family Physicians. I have experience as a rural primary care physician. I have been a clinical researcher for over 30 years, and I am currently, I'm going to take a break. I am currently the Chief Science Officer for the COPD Foundation. The purpose of today's podcast is to discuss unmet needs in asthma in patients with uncontrolled asthma, in particular as they relate to a primary care setting. Barbara, you have spent many years as both a full time rural physician and as a clinical researcher. What are your thoughts on asthma as a disease state, and how do patients typically present in a primary care setting? That's a great question, and asthma is not asthma is not asthma. Not all asthma is the same. It's actually quite heterogeneous, uh, both in the way it presents and in the most common symptoms, and in the age of onset even. Uh, for example, uh, in childhood, very young childhood, uh, ages two, three, before age five, uh, we'll have children that have multiple episodes of wheezing. Uh, and it's pretty hard to tell they have shortness of breath or tight chest or anything else, but they'll have repeated episodes of wheezing. Now, about anywhere from 40 to 50% of those kids that have repeated wheezing will go on to develop asthma. Asthma in childhood and adolescence uh, will most commonly present as these episodes of wheezing, but also with cough, chest tightness, shortness of breath. A lot of times these get misdiagnosed and get called repeated bad colds, repeated episodes of acute bronchitis, and all of a sudden you look back in the medical record and you see that this child or adolescent's been in the emergency room or in your office three or four times in the past year for respiratory-related problems. So you have to think about all of those things. In addition, both uh, children, adolescents, and adults have different triggers. Some people's triggers are allergies. And we used to think that was only kids had allergic triggers. We now know that a lot of adult asthma is also allergic asthma and has lots of triggers. Uh, but 
the common triggers we probably see in kids and adolescents is repeated respiratory infections, and so they're more common while they're in school. Then there's, of course, the ones that have the cold triggers. There's the ones that uh, have triggers that are less common, like aspirin sensitivity, all kinds of things like that. But the most common clinical findings are repeat presentations with respiratory symptoms. It's just not realistic to think that someone's coming in and having bad cold, quote, unquote, two, three, four times a year, year after year. So what we need to do is say, gee, there's something else going on. This looks like it's chronic, not just uh, occasional episodes. We need to think about how we're going to make the diagnosis of asthma. And once we think of it, a lot of it is a clinical diagnosis. But it's really important to realize that airflow obstruction is very useful as an objective measure. Uh, and so this would be spirometry in our offices. You can refer someone for formal pulmonary function testing, and that may be what you need to do uh, for people because you can't get a spirometry in your office. But either way, we need to assess lung function, and we're going to see that there is some evidence of obstructive airway disease, and the FEV1, which is the amount of air you get out in the first second, is going to be less than predicted for their age, gender, weight, height, all those things. Uh, and when it gets down less than 80%, we need to start thinking uh, there is clearly evidence of changes and decreased lung function. Now, inflammation is a little bit more difficult in many primary care settings because not too many of us have things like exhaled nitric oxide or pheno, as it's called. But this is a great measure uh, of inflammation and can be used uh, to either do it in our office or when we collaborate in care with our asthma colleagues, asthma specialty colleagues, like allergists or pulmonologists. Thank you, Barbara. And now, once you see these patients in the office and you recognize that they have asthma, then we know that treating symptoms and reducing risk are the goals in treating asthma. Could you elaborate more on what this means? Yes, those are really important because most of us talk about asthma control, but we don't always think about what does asthma control mean. And asthma control, as it's been defined by uh, most of the, the documents that help us uh, think about strategies for management, include two aspects. One is the symptom burden and the other is the risk. So the symptom burden, we're usually talking about daytime symptoms, nighttime symptoms, the frequency of those, uh, and we're also talking about activity modification. I think sometimes we forget to ask about that, but that's a really important aspect of control 
Because sometimes people say, oh, no, I don't have any symptoms. Well, why don't you have any symptoms? Well, because I don't do anything. Uh, so people who, you know, spend the spring, you know, hiding in their house because they have allergic symptoms and if they got out, they would be having wheezing and shortness of breath. You need to ask time symptoms, nighttime symptoms, and activity modification. And what if they given up? because of their asthma, perhaps. Uh, then there's also risk. And when we talk about risk, we're talking about the risk of exacerbations uh, or asthma attacks, whichever ones you want to call it. And we're also talking about the risks of the medications. And people forget to include that. Uh, obviously, People need to take the appropriate medication, but we don't want people taking more medication than they need because this may put at risk for side effects of the medication. And we put these things all together, both the symptom burden and the risk of exacerbations, uh, to decide what we're going to do. People with high symptom burden lots of exacerbations. This is when I absolutely want to know what their lung function is uh, and see is it, you know, what is it to begin with and then over time is it declining. Uh, so we'd want to do that. But I also really like using one of the standardized test scores for asthma control. Uh, there's the asthma control test or the ACT. Uh, I happen to like the asthma APGAR, and I have to say that's probably because I helped develop it. Uh, but both of these tools ask standardized questions because as a family doc, I sometimes forget what questions I ought to ask about every one of the many conditions that I may see in one day. But these tools give you standardized questions, they give you a score, and you can look at trends over time to see is it getting better? Is it getting worse? Is it about the same? Which can help guide changes in therapy, can help guide whether or not I need to do more lung function, whether or not I need help uh, beyond what I'm comfortable with in the form of a referral or a consultation to an allergist or a pulmonologist. Those are great points, Barbara. I really like the point that you bring up about patients maybe uh, slowing down or not uh, becoming active or decreasing their activity so they're not having symptoms. I also find sometimes as uh, people get older or even a little bit older, they may be less active. And so when they do something, if they have symptoms, they might attribute it to being out of shape or or getting older, and so I think that, that those are really good points that you brought up. Um, and clinical studies report that approximately one out of every three asthma patients who are treated with an ICS laba continue to have symptoms despite being adherent to medication. Can you elaborate a bit on the importance of symptom control in asthma management? Yes, I think that this is really important. Uh, as you pointed out, people make changes in their lifestyle 
so they won't have so many symptoms. And other people accept frequent symptoms as, well, I have asthma. Of course I have symptoms. That's just the way life is. And I think that many of our patients accept many more symptoms and a much greater burden and change their lifestyle much more than we may realize unless we actually ask them. And we need to be saying to these people, no, this is not acceptable. You should not need a rescue medication more than maybe once or twice a week at the most. You should not be waking up at night. You should not have to have given up walking with your friends or, you know, playing racquetball or dancing or if you know, you're younger, going to physical education class. None of those are acceptable. And unless we ask the questions, we may never know it. So I think it's really important that we ask about them and we confirm that symptom control to us means as close to no symptoms as we can possibly get and no exacerbations. Now, we all know that an occasional exacerbation may happen when someone gets an acute respiratory infection and we didn't prevent it, or the first thing in the spring, if uh, spring suddenly came early and their allergies are acting up, but we need to help people recognize those triggers as well, and how do we prevent those triggers? The fact that one in three people on ICS lab are uncontrolled is probably not, unfortunately, too surprising because they may be adherent, they may be taking it as they're supposed to once or twice a day, but they may not be taking it properly. So we need to think about inhaler technique uh, as well as asking the patients you know, and I never say, you do take your medicine like we said, don't you? Because they always say, oh, yes, yes. Instead, you say, you know, I know it's hard to remember these medicines on a regular basis. Do you have any problem? What kind of things make it difficult to remember? What kind of things help? And then I ask them to show me their inhaler technique because we know that is really a big problem. But if we get through all of that and there's still having problems, we know that these are the people who are going to the emergency room more often, and we know they're going to the hospital. And both of, the, both of those things are extremely disruptive to people's lives, uh, hospitalization especially. But even going to the emergency room is quite disruptive, and it can be quite expensive. So we want to treat the symptoms. We need to recognize they're having the symptoms and the exacerbations. And then we want to treat them uh, and make sure that we're not having them have more exacerbations. And there is also the concern about airflow obstruction and fixed airflow obstruction. People who have uncontrolled asthma over many period of years can have fixed airflow obstruction. Sometimes then they get called COPD when they get in their 50s, but it is really due to poorly controlled and managed asthma more frequently than we'd like. And of course, the medication side effects. We never want to forget that 
the minimal amount of medication possible to control symptoms and prevent exacerbations. Good point. What about adherence? Adherence to medication. We know asthma is a chronic disease. We're not with the patients. It's an outpatient disease, not in hospital. So adherence tends to be a problem, and especially we're trying to teach patients to be proactive and take medication so they don't have symptoms, where there are medications to be used more on a reactive basis, and I think that's more intuitive for some people. So what are your thoughts about adherence um, in asthma, adherence to medication? Well, it's a problem for a considerable percentage of our asthma patients. And I think the first thing is we have to give patients the opportunity, or the parents, if it's a younger patient, the opportunity to tell us that they're having adherence problems. Uh, again, as I said, I try to ask them, uh, you know, this is problematic. I know I have trouble remembering to take medication twice a day, uh, even if it's only antibiotics for 10 days. So what kind of issues do you have taking your medicine? I think if you ask it in a way that you assume there are adherence problems, then if there aren't, they'll tell you. But if there are, you've given them the opportunity to tell you without being judgmental. Uh, because there are many things. Uh, for example, we tell patients a lot of things during a visit, uh, and they probably hear one out of three to one out of ten of the things we say. So it shouldn't be too surprising. They go home and they don't remember some of the things we said about the medication, about stressing uh, that you need to take this medication every day because we're trying to prevent inflammation and keep inflammation under control. They may not have heard any of that, so we have to say it again and again. Uh, but that's a reason for non-adherence. They think, well, I, I'm feeling pretty good, so I don't need the medication. Uh, some people are worried that if they take it all the time, it won't work when they need it. We need to know that. Uh, there have been many concerns in the past about steroids and people thinking, whoa, you know, look what happened to all these athletes. I don't want my daughter to be taking steroids. And they don't realize that, you know, the inhaled corticosteroids are kind of like taking a thimble full of steroids. And when you have to take the oral steroids, that's like taking a barrel full or a bucket full. So a great deal of difference. We have to help them understand it. We talked about inhaler technique and watching that because we know even if we teach people, they forget, and that's not too surprising. So we need to establish a great relationship uh, as best we can. And I find that there are sometimes they have a better relationship with my MA or my nurse about some of these things, and they tell them things they wouldn't necessarily tell me. So we make sure the whole team is involved in this adherence. Also, let's make their regimen as easy as possible. Uh, you know, you don't, you've got two medications, you don't want to give them two separate inhalers if you can give those medications in one inhaler. I mean, most people with asthma are going to have to have at least two inhalers because they have to have their quick reliever or rescue medicine, and then they have their daily maintenance medicine. But if we can do the daily maintenance in one inhaler 
and maybe do it once a day instead of twice a day, we can potentially improve adherence. And then again, we always have to sort of end the discussion, I think, with there with asthma, there's days that are better than other days. Just because it's a good day doesn't mean you don't take your medicine. This maintenance medicine means maintenance. That means every day. Yeah, and you discussed patients, you know, in the past you were saying that some patients might just say, um, of course I have symptoms, I have asthma. So there may be some misperceptions. Their health literacy on asthma, for example, may not be uh, the same as what we would expect. So knowing that asthma can be controlled or they can be active and not have symptoms. And as you said, this is something that we need to work with the patients and teach and also help uh, knowing that, I think, would help with adherence too, as you said. Well, thank you very yeah, much I think for your insight. Oh, go ahead. No, that's fine. I was just going to say thank you. Those are really important things you've brought up. Well, thank you very much for your insights, Barbara. To summarize what we discussed today, asthma is a heterogeneous disease and its management is multifactorial. Patients often remain uncontrolled despite treatment and we as physicians have a critical role in identifying and managing patients who are not adequately controlled. This involves regular discussions, recognition of symptoms and risks, and continuous assessment of treatment and reassessment of treatment and follow-up. Thanks to our listeners for joining us. You can hear us again during our next podcast on guideline-based care of asthma patients who remain uncontrolled despite ICS-LAVA.